and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about Aaron Wiggins' contract upgrade, what's going to happen with that remaining two-way spot that has just been opened, and I also want to talk about the Thunder's latest game against the Chicago Bulls. And to top it off, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook to help you guys settle in for Super Bowl 56. But starting things off, guys, I want to talk about Aaron Wiggins. And with Aaron Wiggins, We've kind of all known the thing with him, right? Like he's way above his pay grade. As a two-way player, you're making around $500,000 for the season because of the COVID protocols. They decided that if you're a two-way guy, you can be on the main roster the entire year. So it's basically a one-year contract with a gigantic cut on money. And to make it better, I believe that you actually do get a qualifying offer as well on it. So it's a great deal for the Thunder. That's why they signed him to one after the number 55 pick. And, you know, it was a really good risk to be taking because it wasn't much of a risk really at all here. But through Wiggins's first 55 games, the Thunder's first 55 games, Wiggins played in 31 of them, averaged 7.4 points, three and a half rebounds, and he shot 33% from distance. That makes him one of the better guys on the Thunder's roster. Definitely a top 15 player there. And when you look at what he did in late December, early January, when COVID protocols were really hitting the OKC Thunder, he turned into one of the stars. He played a total of seven straight games where he was dousing down double-digit efforts. And because of it, you saw him average 15.2 points, 5.6 boards, and 1.1 assists, and he was shooting 53.8% across those seven games. And that's also where you got his career high of 24 points. That made him the career leader in a single game uh, point category across the Thunder rookies until Trey Mann erupted earlier a couple weeks ago. But Showing a ton of promise at 22 years old, really on both sides of the basketball, made this pretty damn obvious that he was going to get an extension. However, it came down to when would a roster spot come about. And when Casey Akpala got dealt to the Oklahoma City Thunder a couple days ago, it looked like that would have been the opening, but KZ did not get subsequently waived on the trade. It was the trade where Essentially, you just swapped protections on the picks. Miami, and now they can trade their 2023 pick if they'd like to, 2024 as well. And then in the Thunders camp, uh, their pick can only convey in 2025 and 2026, which makes it a bit better considering Jimmy Butler will be 35 at that point. But KZ was just kind of the instrument they used to make things work out. And with KZ Akpala... I mean, he did bring some interesting stats. He's a six foot eight guy, seven foot wingspan, I believe, but he hasn't played a lot, only 717 minutes in three seasons, and his career averages have just been 3.7 points and two boards. Excuse me, that was his season stats. He played 21 with the Heat until he came down with a wrist injury in December. But he wasn't getting a lot of stats. He was kind of the 14th or 15th guy for the Heat, but he wasn't getting time with the Sky Force down in the G League. So they kind of just had him in no man's land, and that's why he got offloaded. 
This is a guy in Akpala who has shown some promise as a finisher. I really like his gathers, his spin layups, and just the transition play. He's able to fend off defenders to get his own shot. Uh, but when it comes down to the three ball, he's not consistent enough defensively. He has shown some promise in the passing lanes. Also helps with his wingspan to get some rejections. But the Thunder decided that he was not enough. So they decided to waive him yesterday. That opened up a full roster spot. And they immediately gave it to Aaron Wiggins. They signed him to a four-year deal worth $6.4 million. With this, it's going to be a two plus two. So kind of just the standard first-round contract if you will here. So they'll get that team option for year three. If they want to extend, they get it uh, for two more years. And, you know, for Oklahoma City, there's no reason not to take that. That's a gamble that is really not one at all. It's a pretty safe, safe bet uh, when you're Sam Presti and Mark Dagnalt. And he has 100% earned this. And when you look at the history of Thunder two-way deals being converted, there's only four on record that I can find right now, and it starts with Deontay Burton. Um, there was no Shams or Woj report on Burton's deal, so you don't get the specifics on the numbers, but I would assume this was a two plus two, uh, but Burton only made it to his second season with a Thunder. He got converted. He got about $100,000 off the base contract because it was late in the season, and then he was able to rake in about 1.5 mil, but his career earnings... Uh, became a two-year, $3.07 million contract. That team option was declined. Lou Dortz was a four-year, $5.4 million deal. And Moses Brown somehow is the man with the largest contract upgrade deal out of the rest of the bunch. It was a four-year, $6.8 million deal. If I had to come up with a reason here, I'd probably say because Moses Brown was a sophomore last season, he did play with the Texas Legends, and he was on a two-way contract with the Portland Trailblazers in his rookie contract. So it's kind of how you get to that point. But Aaron Wiggins, uh, he looks very, very good in this group of guys. I say all four are very solid. Obviously, Lou Dort's the number one option here. Uh, I would say Aaron Wiggins right now is the second best out of this pack. Moses Brown is not on an NBA deal currently. He just got cleared off of waivers. And then with Deontay Burton, he is balling out with the main Celtics. Uh, has not gotten any NBA run in about two seasons, though. So this is no surprise. Like I mentioned, this is um, a thing that Aaron Wiggins deserved, and he earned it by December, truthfully. It just came down to how you wanted to distribute this. Whenever I mentioned Dort, or whenever I talked about Wiggins and Akpala, I used Lou Dort as kind of the comparison here, and what I believed what uh, was going to happen. I didn't think that Aaron Wiggins would get his two-way deal uh, right now. I thought that they would put that on the back burner for a couple months to let KZ Akpala spread his wings out just a little bit, because he does have some potential as a player, uh, and with a two-way deal, there's no risk. There's no handicap on games. You can sign him at whatever point you want this year. So it just allows you to get a little bit more roster evaluation in, but they decide that they'd rather secure Aaron Wiggins right now. You cannot blame them one bit, and they just bolstered up their wing core for the foreseeable future. You're going to get another two-way defender in the mix with Lou Dort, with Kenrich Williams, and you already have a lot of very good guards with SGA and Josh Giddy at the helm. So this is an A-plus deal. This is what was planned on happening. It was a matter of if 
not win, and they decided they'd rather get it out of the way now and explore other options in the two-way department. And you can't really blame them, to be quite honest with you. When you look at the salaries, like I noted, you know, you're going to be play, uh, paying a lot less for these two-way contracts, and you can continue to just flip them over and over again. And with the salary floor, I didn't note this, it went down a little bit. I believe it's going to go down 1.6 mil due to Wiggins' signing, but that's still giving everybody way above a million in this floor. And then as more two-ways come in, it's going to narrow it down by about 450k uh, for each signing. And they'll be looking to sign a two-way probably sooner rather than later. And I wanted to tally up a group of players to look out for for this two-way contract. I got a grouping of five here. I got some front runners. I've got some guys that I would like. And then I got the wild card that might come into play. But before I go into that, I'll let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. We got the big game today. Bengals going up against the Los Angeles Rams. Should be a good one. Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, Jamar Chase, Odell Beckham Jr. You go go down the line with this one. Uh, it's going to be very, very fun to watch. And you guys can get a very good deal out of DraftKings Sportsbook with it. If you guys live in New York, that's good for you because it is now live in New York. That makes it around a third of the country that now can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook. And new customers can get a free shot at a million dollars as the top prize with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. But guys, pivoting to the top five contenders for this two-way spot. This is going to be a very lucrative one when you break it down. The Oklahoma City Thunder have a history of hitting well with these two-way contracts. And they have a history of getting some very good prospects out of the G League camp. Mentioned this on Twitter a couple days ago. 
50% of the Thunder's current team have been with the Oklahoma City Blue at some point this season. And now with Wiggins on a full-scale contract, it makes it 8 out of 14 players. Over 50%. And if you want to lob in Gabrielle Deck, a total of 9 Thunder players have been assigned to the Oklahoma City Blue this season. And for the assignees on the Blue, they've been doing a hell of a job. These Exhibit 10s can turn into something special. We've seen it through all these hardship exception deals that have been dealt out. We've seen it with Omer Yurt 7, who's now on the Miami Heat, getting double-double after double-double when he plays. He was a serious trade asset earlier in the week at the deadline. And you got guys like Moses Brown, who did ball out, who did have a couple productive games with the Mavs. He's not out there currently, but you also got Lou Dortz and you have Aaron Wiggins. So this is something that you don't want to rush into. You want to make the correct call. They already utilized the first one of the week, getting Lindy Waters in for Paul Watson Jr. I had my remarks on that two episodes ago, I believe. With that one, I think it was the best one-for-one upgrade. Lindy is the top catch-and-shoot guy on the Oklahoma City Blue, so it makes some sense. I think with this one, though, you can be a little bit different with how you want to approach things because Aaron Wiggins is still on your team. He's on that full-scale deal with KZ Akpala. Clearly, he wasn't in the plans anyways, so it's not like you're looking for another six-foot-eight multi-positional defender again. So it's a clean slate here. You kind of just go best available. And I think the front runner has to be Mamadi Diakite, who was on three 10-day contracts with the Oklahoma City Thunder in the last month or so. And when you look at Mamadi's statistics, he played 13 games with the Thunder, averaged 4.3 points and 4.5 boards in 14 and a half minutes. Fouling issues were a lot more apparent in the front end of his games. He ended up dwindling down his uh, personal fouls to two and a half. So after 34.8 minutes, that's where you'd see him foul out if you go part of that course. Obviously, that's not realistic. It's not going to be linear in terms of fouls in the NBA. But that's probably the biggest issue we saw was just him fouling. But he's a very scrappy, aggressive defender. That's why you saw the fouls. But it also means he can get down and dirty on shot blocks on the offensive end. Very good screen setter in the high ball screens. He's not much of a guy that fades, but off the roll, he does have a quick first step. 6'8", going on 6'9", 7'3", wingspan. So if he has the lane, he's going to take it and he can get up there and finish it down. One thing I loved about him, box out ability. He's going to do that for you. He's going to do it on both sides of the basketball. And then the second chance points, he's able to reap the rewards on a very consistent basis. When you looked at what he was doing for the Lakeland Magic last year, he was running on all team numbers. Now, I don't think he clinched his spot because you had Paul Reed and you had Moses Brown at the five, but he was averaging about 18 points and 10 rebounds. And three of those were coming on the offensive boards. He's able to box out. He's able to get that position. And because of the athletic ability, he's able to convert on the offensive side and tap in a little bit on the defensive side as well. And you also have that connection with Ty Jerome as your backup point guard. He looked right at home. He looked like an NBA player in those three 10-day deals. I don't know if he's searching for an actual standard contract, but I feel like the Thunder should probably offer him this two-way deal. So he's number one in terms of expectation. Also, my personal opinion, I think he's done everything correctly, which warrants him uh, that contract. 
But if you want to go down to number two on the list, it's going to be another center and Olivier Saar. And Olivier Saar only played one significant game with the Thunder. It was about 12 minutes with the Sacramento Kings, four points, two rebounds, two blocks. Both of those came within a 45 second span. And he also was kind of just like Mamani Daikite, where he was reaping the rewards of being this agile center. And with Olivier, he kind of gives you the best of both worlds from the two star centers last season and Moses and in Omer. Omer was kind of this back-to-basket post guy. He started stepping out from distance, wasn't very quick, a little more on the flat-footed side. And then with Moses Brown, he was all athleticism, no real shot to his game. With Olivier, he brings you some athletic ability. He's not 7'2", though, so it's not going to be as easy as Moses Brown, of course. Uh, But he can get down there on lobs. He can position himself off the drive to dunk it. But he's also looking to pop on these pick and pops just like Omer was doing. So he's kind of that Swiss army knife as a center. He's not getting major minutes with the blue right now because DJ Wilson is there and you start to see guys like Alexei Pokushevsky play all last month. Teo Maladon was there in the entirety of January, uh, but he's still been able to settle down. His last game, he had 10 points and 14 rebounds in 21 minutes. And in all, he's averaging 8.7 points and 4.7 rebounds in 18.1 minutes. Uber efficiency. I coined him as the dark horse on the OKC Blue when the season started just because the athleticism works out for him. He's a double double guy any given night off that second unit for Grant Gibbs, and he's been able to live up to the expectation. This is just another deal where if you need more centers and you need an athletic guy again, you side with him. Sar couple years younger than Mamadi. Mamadi is 25 years old now, I believe. With Sar, he's only 22. So that's kind of the major edge. And he's also seven feet tall. So he's a bit more of the prototype uh, center body in the NBA. So those are the top two candidates. I think after that, you go into the guys that might be curveballs. Lindy Waters was by all means a curveball last time. So they uh, these three are definitely still in the conversation and DJ Wilson starts it off. He's easily been the best Exhibit 10 player for the Oklahoma City Blue this year. Uh, when you're looking at both the Winter Showcase Cup and the latest slate of games with him, he's just coming off a 34.17 rebound performance. Both of those were career highs for him in the G League. And he's been averaging 17.7 points and 9.6 rebounds in 19 games. So he's damn near on a double-double. When he was in the Winter Showcase games, he was getting around 14 points and 10 rebounds. So he's been very active around there. Been a great post player. People have not been able to match up with his six foot ten frame. The one thing that I'll nitpick is the three-point shot has not been what has really been his calling card since he's entered the league. Out of Michigan, he was a stretch five. That's why the Bucks kind of took a reach on him in the mid-first round. But he's shooting in the 20% currently. Mid-range game, love him to death. Free throw master. On the roll, I mean, he's also been very good. A lot of it comes down to brute force, um, and you're not seeing him pop out from the top of the key. And I think he'll be able to do that anyways. When he was playing for the Raptors, he should have gotten another 10-day contract. He should have gotten a two-way or something out of that because he was uh, one of their better players when they were down to like eight, nine guys on the actual roster. 
Uh, and I'm sure he'd do good with the OKC Thunder. The thing is, with DJ Wilson, you're not really buying into someone based on potential. And I think off of the Paul Watson Jr. transaction, you can kind of start to see what their direction might be. DJ Wilson, he'll be turning 26 next week. And with Saar, he's 22. With Mamadi, he's a year younger. And they also haven't played professionally for five seasons. DJ Wilson has, so he's kind of been through the mill in terms of getting those repetitions in. Uh, So I'd say probably not with him. If they're looking to get the best win now piece, though, it probably would be DJ. I think he's ready for another opportunity at the next level. Talking about another guy who deserves another chance in the NBA, it's Melvin Frazier Jr. And Melvin Frazier Jr. was my favorite player heading into the bubble last year. He was benched by Grant Gibbs. He wasn't playing in all the games. So he kind of fell off my radar. I kind of wrote him off as an overseas signee or someone that would go to a different organization in the G League. Uh, But he decided to stick around this year. He was on the Wizards Summer League roster. They had COVID, so he couldn't play. Uh, And then he just got back on uh, with the Blues group. And he's turned into one of their top options. When he was with the Lakeland Magic, when the Mavs or uh, the Magic selected him 35th in the 2018 draft, he was the star. First two seasons, dropping like 18, 19 points per game. He was fourth in steals sophomore season with a little over two. I think he had 2.2 that year. And he was shooting fairly well from distance. He's six foot six with a seven foot two wingspan. Perfect frame for a wing defender. He's going to be able to play well on both sides of the basketball. On the transition game, he's turned into OKC's most reliable option. His gather ability and his hop step ability have been on an NBA level. He's not the most athletic player and he's not the fastest, but those sneaky moves are able to get defenders off their game and get two free points anytime he slices inside. He's very good off backdoors. And then from three this year, he's shooting above 38%. That's almost a career high for him, and he's doing that on over four attempts per game. You're seeing him as a corner sitter. That's where he's getting a lot of these three-point shots, but don't be fooled. He can hit it from just about anywhere. He's an off-ball player, so he's not out there hogging the basketball to get his points. He's just kind of sitting in the shadows, just like players such as Aaron Wiggins have done at some points and gotten some shots up because of it. So he's a low-maintenance guy who'll be able to get it done. I think that you can put him as a role player on a lot of different teams in this league. I don't know how he got passed up on uh, in the main hardship pool, but he's still standing afloat. He's averaging 13.6 points, 3.4 boards, and 1.6 steals in 29 regular season games, and I'm sure that's going to continue for him. He's been an absolute darling for the blue roster, and he's not going to be dropping the 30 pieces, but he's going to be dropping double digits consistently, and watch out for the magic number 15. He's dropped that on five separate occasions in the regular season, and with him, I think out of those 29 games, he's had 16 going on 17 games in that. So about a third of the time, you're starting to see him drop 15. And one more tidbit before I move on to the next candidate with Melvin. I think there might be some actual backing to there being interest here because when you look at the 2018 draft class and you look at where the Thunder were that season, this is when you had Russ, you had Paul George, believe Melo was coming on there too. And this is when Presti was just stuck in defensive three and D wing 
accumulation mode. He wanted to get the Josh Eustaces. He wanted to get the Terrence Fergusons, and they were not panning out. Melvin Frazier Jr. out of Tulane. I had him marked as one of my steals. Him and Mitchell Robinson were the steals I had. Literally went back to back in that second round. But I said, you know, the Thunder should trade up to get this guy or they should try to select him. They did not have a pick in the second round, at least early on that year. So they couldn't make a deal to select him. They only had two picks in the 50s. That's when they got Devon Hall and Kevin Hervey. We both know how it went uh, for those two guys, but I thought that there was going to be interest, and I believe based on the signing and the Exhibit 10 we saw, not this year, but last year, they wanted to get Melvin Frazier Jr. as soon as he became a free agent and whenever the Magic elected to not pick up his team option. So mutually, I think there's something between those two guys. I don't know if it's going to lead to any contracts, especially since Melvin Frazier Jr. is already kind of a veteran. And I think he's 24, now 25 years old, but we'll wait and see with him. And I want to go into the wild card prospect here. This is one where it's kind of like Lindy Waters. If you end up seeing this, you're going to be surprised, but you really should not be. This time it's Georgios Kalixakis. He has been playing off the bench for the OKC Blue during the regular season. This was a pickup off of the waivers. Uh, and this might have actually just been a straight up negotiation. As you all might have remembered, Kalixakis was selected in this last draft class. He was Mr. Irrelevant, pick number 60 by the Milwaukee Bucks, and they actually held on to him to start the regular season. So he played a bit with them, was eventually cut. I think that could have been to make room for DeMarcus Cousins, but he was off the books. The Bucks didn't want to keep him on a two-way deal or anything like that. So he was kind of just floating around. And then the Thunder signed him up with the blue. And there was some commotion. People thought that he was going to be a two-way deal because of how it was worded on Euro hoops. Turned out it was just awkward wording. He's on an Exhibit 10 contract right now. But because the Thunder picked him up pretty soon after this Buck stuff happened, they're interested. And he's also a young, lengthy wing. Six foot seven with a six foot ten wingspan he plays primarily the two he slides up to the three though and he is 23 years old so he's also sort of in that range for Oklahoma City what he's gonna bring you he'll bring you some finishing offensively passing wise he's decent I think defensively is where you're gonna get the bread and butter though because of the length he's a nice guy in the passing lanes and he can get you some steals in a heartbeat current averages of eight or uh, 9.8 points 2.8 boards and 0.7 steals in 16.6 minutes. I will note with Kalixakis, he is not a shooter. He has never been one. He's not shooting above 30% from distance right now. And I believe if you do sign him on a two-way deal, he'll still be shooting below 30%. So this one will sting if you do sign him to a two-way. However, if you want to continue the defensive ability and you want to try to broaden your horizons there, I think Kalixakis could be the fun guy that could end up getting signed here great guys on the blue i didn't mention rob edwards and xavier simpson are the other two i want to talk about i think just for one reason or another they won't get signed like for simpson he's a really good passer however the thunder have too many guards same goes for rob edwards he was on a 10 day earlier this year but he's a lot more of like the on ball microwave and i'm not sure if they necessarily need that right now so they might go somewhere else but 
I like both those guys as players. And I like the entire Thunder roster last night when they played against the Chicago Bulls. Going to go into this one. The Bulls, they do not have Zach Levine loaded here. They had to have DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic star over the Thunder. They didn't have SGA. So you kind of even things out here. This was a fun game. OKC started out up 7 to nothing, 14 to 5, and they led wire to wire in the first half. And I wanted to check this. It's pretty hard to find these though. Um just seeing how many times the Thunder have led wire to wire in the first half of a game uh this year. And I'd imagine it'd be three or less times. This is the first one that I recall jotting down the note on. Uh, and they were on fire. They were able to limit the Chicago Bulls. This was one where, you know, it wasn't a blowout for the OKC Thunder in the first half, but they just continued to stay afloat. They were up 54 to 50, riding on a 37% clip from downtown. Dort had 10, Bays had 11, and Bays was really feeling it as a shooter there. And for the Bulls, they just had to run two-man game. DeMar DeRozan, he had 19. Nikola Vucevic, he had 12. Ayo DeSumu, he actually had 10. So you might have had that third option with your second rounder. But they didn't have near as much depth as the Oklahoma City Thunder did. And they had a piece of depth too with the starting unit. Isaiah Roby got the starting nod because Derek Favors was out. Muscala was out. And so was Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And he did a good job uh, fighting against Nikola Vucevic. But as soon as the game turned to the third quarter, it turned into a nightmare off the interior. Nikola Vucevic pretty much played bully ball. He ended up taking 10 shots in the third, hit seven of them, and had 15 points to his name. Roby couldn't defend him. Bays couldn't defend him. They were double teaming the man. It didn't matter though. All of his makes came in the paint in the third quarter. And that's when you started to see the Bulls take advantage. They were up one point going into the fourth quarter and it set the stage for a back and forth potential nail biter going down the stretch. And neither side shot particularly well to open the third quarter. Uh, for the Thunder, they kind of had to work towards the penetration game to get points. The free throw line became really their calling card to stick around. And with under a minute to go, the game rested at three points. However, a missed shot led to DeMar Rosen getting the ball for the Bulls. He got hacked and he got to the foul line for a pair of free throws. Hit both of them. The Bulls went up five and the Thunder could not reply. The Chicago Bulls took the game 106 to 101 and the losing streak continues for the Thunder. Luckily, in the tank race, a lot of those guys, such as the Pacers and the Kings and the, um, I'm trying to think of the name right now. Oh yeah, the Blazers. They all won their games. So it helps a lot when you go to the tankathon statistics. And it helps a lot seeing that these guys fought with one of the best teams in the NBA for a full 48 minutes, even without Zach Levine. Really established roster. For Chicago, they had to play through the stars again. DeMar DeRozan finished the game with 38 points. And Nikola, really living off that third quarter, had 31 points and 15 rebounds. I will say, still thought OKC did a great job. They had 40 points in the paint. 
went 22 of 30 from the foul line. That's the most attempts they've had in the calendar year of 2022. So they were adamant about running into Nikola, running into the big guys, and hitting those shots really off of some freebies. And when you look at who starred here, Lou Dort, he led the team in scoring, didn't have the greatest output in the last game against the 76ers. He went 6 of 17 for 15 points. He doubled his his total and then some with a team-high 31 points. He ended up going 5 of 12 from downtown, hit 5 of his 8 field goals from distance, and he was just going inside any chance he could. SGA is normally the one to get into double figures at the charity stripe. Lou Dort was on Saturday. He went up there for 14 attempts, ended up drilling 10 of them, and that's ultimately how you got to that magic number of 31 points. And with Lou Dort, it's still kind of the same thing as SGA, where there's three levels to the game, three-point shot, just driving inside, or getting to the foul line. The foul line hasn't been as prevalent with Lou as it's been with SGA, but once he's able to get to those types of numbers, that's when it gets scary. He was able to do that, and he was able to get a full-course meal in in the Windy City. Really happy to see him do well from distance. I know we chucked up 12 shots, but 5 of 12 is still very good. That's in the 40s, so just keep living from there. He's had some inconsistencies from distance. It's a major fall-off from last year. But you kind of have to hope that he picks up uh, from this game right here. And the same goes for Josh Giddy. He was riding the lines of history through three quarters. Nine points, nine rebounds, and nine assists. Only seven players have done that in NBA history. And the list, very, very fun. Draymond Green, Juan Toscano Anderson, Mario Chalmers, Nicholas Batum, Brad Miller, Vlade Divac, and Brian Shaw. So the only guys currently around, Draymond, Juan Toscano Anderson, Nicholas Batum, and then you have Mario Chalmers in the G League looking to uh, make his way back up. But it's been a while since we've seen a 9-9-9, but with 12 minutes to spare and a close game, Giddy got rid of that. Instead, he jumped in an even more exclusive club, getting a triple-double, second time in his career, gets himself on the list again. He holds the record for the first youngest and the second youngest player to get a triple-double. I think it was 40 days ago where he dropped his first one against the Dallas Mavericks. That was January 2nd, so I guess it would be 40. And then he does have this one again. Passing has been unreal with Josh Giddy. I could get snippets from a single game and there'd probably be five or six passes where I couldn't find many other guys in the NBA uh, that could do this. One of them that just had me so pumped up, he was hanging around the left baseline, let's say 15 to 18 feet out. He sees Trey Mann at the right corner and his man sagging off just a little bit. Giddy ends up driving a little bit to his right to to get the angle at the rim and then almost like a pitcher, this dude jumps up and slings it overhanded to the other side of the court over two guys, gets right in the pocket of Trey Mann. He doesn't get the shot to go down, but who's making those moves, man? The cross courts 
are unbelievable. We've seen some bounce passes in transition, and we've seen some alley-oops. He's got the whole thing in his bag, and he did have the whole thing in his bag on Saturday, getting a triple-double yet again. He's one of those players now where getting 5-5-5 five, five, and five in all the categories, you don't bat an eye at. It's kind of just expected, and it sneaks up on you in the stat sheet. You know, that's just how he is. He can hide around those stats, unlike maybe an SGA or something where you know he has the ball all the time. With Josh Giddy, he's picking and choosing and he's making the right reads the majority of the time. And he was making some really good reads with Isaiah Roby in the first half. When you look at Roby's stats, he only played 24 minutes. He had to get pulled out because of Nikola Vucevic in the third quarter. So uh, that is one that stings. But he still did everything on both ends. Concluded the game with a stat sheet of 7 points, 4 boards, 3 steals, and 3 blocks. So he was truthfully doing it all. And he was doing nice getting open off the pick and pop with Josh Giddy. Started 1 of 1 from distance, ended up going 1 of 3. I just like the ability for him to get open in space. But also, off of the roll... He was killing Nikola Vucevic anytime he wanted to. His quick first step is really apparent. It's at that NBA level. And if you get him as a lob threat, he's very damn dangerous. We've seen some posterizing dunks. Didn't see any ones with him last night, but they're definitely there with him. And even though he's not dropping 20 points, he's not really the star. I think just him remaining positive uh, after a month of not playing Thunder basketball should keep him in check. I think he deserves to keep a starting gig in their next game on Monday because of this. There hasn't been a, a terrible, terrible game for him really all year at the helm as that starting five. It's just been due to bad situations. Jeremiah Robinson Earl being there, Derek Favors being in the cards, and then Mike Muscala he deserves minutes, but um, you know he wasn't playing last year, so that's why you saw him a lot more. But yeah, sufficient effort on both ends helps him out. He was playing against his Achilles heel with a back-to-basket big. He really can't ever get it done against those guys on the defensive side because he is six foot nine, and Nikola Vucevic is sort of the cream of the crop uh, in that category. One of the best in the business at the five spot, anyways. But Oklahoma City. They end up finishing that game with that five-point loss. That's going to swing them to 17-39 and 39 on the regular season. And it puts them in a spot right now where they are sitting one and a half games behind the Houston Rockets for last place in the Western Conference. So their next game will be tomorrow against the New York Knicks. That will start at 6.30. I'll get you the coverage for that one. And I'll get the write-up to you all over at SI. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.